today on Ag News Daily. Eight or nine years old, me and my family went on vacation to a guest ranch out in Colorado. And I always joked that someday I would move back there and manage the barn and ride the horses and, and live and work out there. Well, listeners, welcome to a Friday episode of Ag News Daily. This is Tanner Woodrow alongside Delaney Howell. And today's Friday episode is brought to you by Your Soy Checkout. Well, how's Friday morning going, Delaney? Well, it's kind of dreary, so I was hoping it would be a little nicer than this heading into the weekend. Well, sun's out. We're supposed well, to yeah. be a good Memorial Day weekend. Okay, well, I'm hoping it is. <laughs> I, You know, for how many softball games that I've gone to in the cold wind and rain, I'm, nothing's scheduled for Memorial Day weekend, and I'm kind of bummed. It's probably going to be the best weather of softball season, and we won't have any games. Now, do you like going to the softball games? Absolutely. That's it's still uh, still new and exciting in our family, as my daughters are young, so probably don't have the burnout yet. And uh, it's fun to watch the good teams play well. Okay, well, good. I'm glad for you. Yeah, absolutely. But our celebrators, celebrators is that the right word? Celebrators <laughs> might be paying a little bit more for their Memorial Day celebration this weekend. USDA raised its estimate for the range of increase for food in its food inflation forecast again. So that was in the five to six percent range. They've now forecasted six and a half to seven and a half percent year over year increase according to their May food price outlook report. This is the highest forecast for all food prices since 1981, the highest grocery store price boost since 1980. The biggest increase, of course, is in eggs for the second month in a row. That's now hiked to over 20% range. That is up from just two months ago. USDA had egg inflation at two and a half to three and a half percent. So a rather large jump there. Another category of big increases is pork, poultry, fats, and oils. I think we all know where those headlines have come from that are causing those but the largest cost increase for food since 1980 well that's not uh, ideal news if you're going to be grilling then this memorial day weekend tanner is it no it's not not certainly anything that we'd like to hear no certainly not but one thing tanner this just hit the headlines this morning so i'm still dissecting the news myself But the headline reads, Senators pitch plan to keep farmers planting after final insurance states. Members of Congress from northern states are calling on Secretary Vilsack to find a way to extend crop insurance coverage protection beyond the final planting dates to allow planters to keep rolling and boost potential crop production here in the United States. This is something, Tanner, that we've heard rumors circulating might come to light, but now it is officially official that Congress has asked for some reprieve here from those planting dates. Of course, we know a large swath of North Dakota hit their insurance date as of May 25th, but others are quickly following suit here. Iowa's is May 31st, which is Tuesday on the corn side of things, and then quite a bit of the eastern portion of the U.S., so Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, they'll hit their insurance plant date on June 5th on corn, and we've still got quite some time for soybeans, so really they're focusing right now on corn, Tanner. 
Yeah, I see that. And that kind of rolls into another headline that uh, we have now is early expiring CRP acres can now begin field work early. So uh, due to that Russian-Ukraine conflict and continued world issues affecting the amount of world grain supplies, USDA took another step, including the one you just discussed, on the 26th to improve production capacity in the U.S. So using that CRP program, participants who are in their final year of their contract can get into their fields after nesting season ahead of the official October 1 expiration date. So Delaney, this doesn't turn acres loose for planting this year, but it does give you a jump start on getting these acres tore up and put into production, put in preparation for production for the next growing year. Um, so the rising food prices overseas resonate to higher commodity prices. We want producers to be able to take advantage of this, says the USDA. You can get approved for this one-time voluntary termination and will not have to repay any rental payments. The flexibility is here to mitigate this global food supply shortage. Now you will be able to hay and graze those lands and put fall seeded crops in. But again, you have to wait until your area's primary nesting season is over. So most of the states here in the Midwest, that does not end until after August 1st. So a great jump if you wanted to get some winter wheat put in the ground, but certainly will not bring extra corn and soy acres to the market this year. No, certainly not. And I saw that piece of news as well, Tanner, but something that might bring more corn and soy to the marketplace next year as well is a new trade agreement of sorts that has slipped largely under the radar, Tanner, until I read about it this morning. But Biden apparently was in Tokyo earlier this week to launch some new framework for a non-traditional Indo-Pacific economic framework, otherwise known as IPEF which he says was built on common interests in the digital economy, climate change, economic resilience, and clean government. So this agreement largely has 13 states that were similar to those that were going to be included in the TPP agreement. But they say this is a very different agreement from TPP, and it is quote-unquote non-traditional, meaning that the nature of this agreement means Congress does not have to sign off on it, Tanner, which is a little unusual of sorts. Um, they, the president said earlier this week, though, that this new framework would cover half the population of the world and more than 40% of the global GDP. And as I mentioned there, essentially, they're looking at targeting a few key areas uh, to start with here, including science-based decisions around technology and um, a few other key areas. But it's interesting, you know, we don't have a ton of detail out about it yet, but nonetheless, they're really touting how this could be a big win for agriculture um, with essentially these different quote unquote pillars that are the formation of the staples of the IPEF that would help deepen U.S. commitments in the Indo-Pacific region. That still trips me up that it's not something Congress would have to approve. So uh, certainly something for us to keep an eye on. But for right now, let's pause for a message from our sponsor this week. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? 
by pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. Another thing to watch if you're mouthwatering like mine, watching these oranges get squeezed into delicious juice is what South African citrus exports are going to continue to look like. So with the war in Ukraine, Ukraine throttled South Africa's citrus exports headed to Russia, even though some of the shipments have still gone through, citrus farmers from uh, South Africa are still concerned about shipping delays and payments coming from the Russian government. So since then, the United Kingdom's soft citrus share has increased 24 to 61% at the expense of Russia decreasing theirs from 32 to 5%. So South African citrus growers, uh, mandarins, oranges, and grapefruits uh, are continued to really put a squeeze, pun intended, on on orchard owners and farmers in that country because they can't get their product to market. And we all know that fruit has a much shorter shelf life than grains do. So unfortunate for those South African orchard farmers, but uh, certainly here on a Friday episode made me want to go get a big glass of OJ. Does it? It did. Well, that's good. That was a sad little joke, but that's okay. <laughs> we got to try, right? Yeah, you have to. And uh, speaking of trying, I'm going to try to make our listeners maybe not laugh, but maybe laugh. We'll see about this next story that I've got to share here. And it was sent to us by one of our longtime listeners, Gary Rasmussen, this morning, looking at a group of high school seniors that decided to prank their principal for their senior year, Tanner. Apparently, in the state of Montana, there's an old law in the books that was apparently more applicable in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but it's just never been changed. And so no matter what the age of the law is, obviously, it can still be enforced. And so this group of seniors at Conrad High School in Missoula, Montana, decided that they would take advantage of this old state law That said, if they rode their horse to school, the principal had to tend the horse or horses during school hours. So 12 seniors saddled up for their last day of high school and rode to Conrad High School, of course, on their horse. And that rhymed. But apparently the principal took it very well and actually took care of their horses throughout the day. So that's a little bit of funny feel good news for this Friday episode. It is. I thought you were going to talk about the one that I saw where a group of seniors filled an old washing machine with concrete and left it in the front lawn. And uh, it was the video was of them trying to use their yard, their garden tractor with a loader to move it and not realizing that it was full of concrete and the little garden tractor could not pick it up. So uh, I'm sure there's senior pranks going on across the country as school gets ready to wrap up for this summer. No doubt, Tanner. One more pause from our sponsor this week before I get into my last piece of news. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. 
See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. So the last piece of news, Delaney, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach. So this is uh, a retweet that I saw on Twitter from Angie Setzer. The base tweet to this, though, comes from uh, Sofia Horta de Costa. So, so at Sofia HCBBG. And it is labeled, all of this happened in China this week, a thread, one of 10. So she goes down through 10 headlines. So first headline is China's economic difficulties worsen. Economic emergency, Premier Li gathers thousands of representatives from local governments, state-owned companies for an impromptu meeting, saying the economy is far worse than it was during COVID in 2020. The third headline, confusion. Many government officials charged with implementing policy at the ground level, not quite understanding what President Xi has continued to say, resulting with COVID zero emphasis, potential economy paralysis. Different accounts, this is the third one, different accounts of the same meeting. China's state TV says UN human rights chief admired the efforts in achieving COVID zero, but yet no said reports come from the human rights side. The next one, it's unclear if the US intended to provoke China in a vow to defend Taiwan's military. White White House officials later back the remarks. The next one, Alibaba relief. So a surge of 15% over 9% revenue growth projections for Q1 for the China tech company sets a low bar for earnings during this China economy. So again, that was an article reporting on a company that had been surging in growth was now becoming more stagnant. Uh, Private sectors are backing away from Chinese owned Stocks was the next headline. Time is running out. Significant issues in China. Audit disputes with the SEC officials. Almost 200 Chinese companies are at risk of being delisted from U.S. exchanges. Uh, Next one is credit cognition. Property firm Greenland asked for more time to pay on their bond, their government-issued bond in June, showing that even quasi-state firms are not safe. And then the last one, Worst case scenario for China, hedge funds thought to be buying up stocks in Hong Kong after mid-March when state council pledges complete squeeze of short positioning. So government-focused stock positioning. All those headlines, Delaney, from China this week indicate that their economy is not doing very well. Yeah, that was a lot to take into. Yeah, that, uh, that was the big overarching theme is... The reports are misleading. There's multiple different facets, but all of it seems to be pointing to a pretty big economic slowdown in China. Yeah, and I think that certainly sounds like it's the case, you know, so you continue to look at um, different GDP rates, COVID rates, etc. China's not continuing to see the growth that they've typically seen here over the past 10 to 15 years, Tanner. Right. Yeah, certainly. It, it is, uh, again, we say this a lot, something for us to watch. It certainly is. And one thing uh, I've been watching a little bit this morning has been not only market prices, but also crude oil prices, which are trying to push to a new contract high today, Tanner. It's hard to believe that 
about two years ago, we were seeing negative crude oil prices. Now we're seeing uh, sky high crude oil prices and some analysts are expecting gas prices to get as high as 620 this year. Whoa. So I, that's not uh, very fun Friday news, is it? No, I did not see that headline. That surprised me. Yes, it did me as well, Tanner. Well, that's all I've got for news today, Delaney. What do markets look like? Well, markets are trading fairly mixed this morning, probably waiting to see what kind of planting progress report numbers we get out on Monday. Uh, Well, Tuesday, I should say. Monday is, of course, closed for Memorial Day, so USDA will, will be releasing those numbers on Tuesday for us. But in the meantime, it seems like corn and wheat have been able to digest that news of Ukrainian exports shrugging it off, as a lot of analysts are saying. This is just rumor and speculation, and Russia probably won't follow through on that intended promise. Corn today up about 11 cents in the new crop contract. Soybeans down a penny today, trading around 1543, and wheat higher across the board, Tanner. As you hop over to look at livestock today, they're trading in positive territory, at least as of this morning as well. Green across the screen and live cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hogs. There, thanks for giving us a little bit of a market wrap up here on our Friday episode. Now it's time to jump into our Friday conversation. Well, folks, today we are chatting with Kirsten Robinson, who is an influencer, you may have followed her along with her on Instagram, hashtag Ranch Life is the handle that she uses and website she uses. Kirsten, it's so great for you to join us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you found yourself out in Montana, because as I understand it, you're not from there originally. I am not. No, I've actually lived many, many places. So um Yeah, I actually, so I grew up in um, a rural area of Ohio and a very um, farming oriented town. I did a lot of um, horse stuff growing up. So showing horses, quarter horse, 4-H, things like that. Um, So horses have definitely always been my passion, but I've been around agriculture and grew up with, you know, lots of friends that had farms and um, mostly dairy farms, I would say is kind of a more common thing, at least where I'm from, but, but yeah, all kinds of agriculture. Um, so anyways, I, I grew up showing when I went to college, I showed on my college equestrian team. So I kind of <laughs> continued the horse thing. And then when I was in school, I um, was getting ready to graduate. I was, you know, about to apply for grad school and potentially PT school. And all my classmates were just super, super excited and into it. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't really want to be doing this. You know, all I could think about was living out West and riding horses and, you know, pursuing that, that side of, of my passions. So, um, kind of a funny story when I was, uh, eight or nine years old, me and my family went on vacation to a guest ranch out in Colorado. And I always joked that someday I would move back there and, manage the barn and ride the horses and and live and work out there. So I got kind of this (laughs) crazy, crazy thought when I was a senior in college that I should apply and see, you know, if if I could get a job out there. So that's what ended up happening. And 10 days after I graduated from getting my bachelor's, I moved to Colorado and um, worked on a guest ranch out there, which is also a working ranch during the um, rest of the year when they're not hosting guests. And 
I lived there and worked there for about five years. That's where I met my fiance, who I work with now, obviously. And um, yeah, so I worked my way kind of up into managing the barn and did what I said I'd do as a little eight-year-old and um, learned so, so much about ranching there. So we had a small um, cattle herd with Black Angus and we did, you know, tagging, branding, vaccinating the whole nine yards. So moving cattle, you know, before and after the summer season. And then of course, when we hosted guests, lots of riding, um, lots of different stuff with horses as well. So that's definitely where I found my passion for ranching and where I kind of realized that that's what I wanted to be doing. Um, as I said, I met Logan there uh, during my last two summers at the ranch. And um, we have actually lived in several different spots. We decided to, to work at the ranch two years together, but because it's a seasonal place during the winter months, you know, you can either get a job at like a local ski resort or something or go somewhere else to work. So we chose to, you know, try to expand our our horizons a little bit and move different places, try to get, you know, as much experience in different areas as we could. So we lived in Minnesota one winter and then we lived in Wisconsin the other winter. His family's kind of from right along the border there. So I did mostly, you know, working for some horse trainers and stuff. Obviously there's not, there's lots of farms up there, but not quite as many ranching operations. And then we got an opportunity to actually work on a hunting ranch down on the Kansas and Missouri border, um, which is definitely more his passion than mine, but it was a, a really cool experience. Lots of hospitality, but you know, some, some ranching stuff, lots of hunting. Um, and then I got presented with an opportunity um, just about a year and a half ago to work managing a beef cattle operation in Alabama <laughs> of all places. So what I said all over, yeah, definitely meant it. But so I, I headed there. He was kind of right in the middle of hunting season. So obviously I, you know, let him kind of do his thing. We did the long distance thing, which wasn't super fun, but we've been together long enough at that point that it was doable for sure. And um, while I was there, I managed about 850 pairs of mamas. And then we had about 250 stalkers. So that was a really cool operation as well to learn and expand my knowledge more of like the feedlot and um, stalker cattle. Cause we would bring them in, you know, every week or so and weigh them and, you know, separate by weight, take to the sales, things like that. So that was a really cool thing that I hadn't really ever done before. Um, and then kind of out of the blue, we, so for a while we had an ad on like a ranch job site. And that's how I got that job in Alabama. And so we got this call and you know, about this job in Montana and kind of our goal has always been to move back out West and, you know, do something working together. Cause we loved our time in Kansas. We loved our time in Colorado. Um, we just, you know, we really wanted to have that, that kind of together working, living, you know, living and doing stuff that we enjoy, but sharing that time together and also out West. So we were like, Oh my gosh, this is this is such a great opportunity, something crazy. It was, it was really out of the blue, but not something we were seeking out, but it just really felt like fate. You know, we visited Montana a few times while we lived in Colorado and we really loved it. And we always said, you know, we could see ourselves moving back out here. So we ended up taking the job after some interviews. Obviously we got offered it, but 
we took it without ever visiting, just kind of going by faith, going by, you know, our feelings and um, all of our interactions, of course, with our boss. And so that was last May. Um, so we packed all our things up, including our, our little chicken flock. <laughs> and they rode in the car with me and the dog and actually laid eggs the entire way from Kansas to Montana, <laughs> which was hilarious and very unexpected. So I'd be like talking on the phone with my parents. They'd be squawking and laying eggs, and, like cheering for each other. So that was probably the, the most humorous part of our move. But so, yeah, so we live in central Montana now. We're managing a beef cattle operation. We've got about 400 pairs. Um, and then we do some custom grazing during the summer months with about anywhere from 700 to 800 yearlings. So they just stay um, <clears throat> during the summer and we rotate them through pastures and use a lot of the different grazing land that we have and don't necessarily need for our mamas. So, wow. yes, very, that, <laughs> very that long, is a journey. long saga. Yes. But it's been one of those things where um, we don't enjoy moving. People always say, oh, you must just really like, you know, moving and whatever. And it's like, I don't really feel like anyone loves moving, but we just feel like if there's an opportunity presented to you, that's going to expand your knowledge, you know, expand you not only as an employee, but as a person. And it's something that you can feasibly make work, then why not take that opportunity? And of course, you know, there's a time we're both 30 now. So we're, you know, we're getting married at the end of this year. So we are definitely ready to not be moving all the time and whatever. So it's been good to be in one spot for, for a year. And, you know, hopefully we can stick around for a while and put down some roots and whatnot, but we, we don't really regret all the moves we made because it gave us, you know, lots of different skills and, and qualities to be able to use for, for for the jobs that we've had. So, yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's, that is a story. You, no wonder you have hashtag ranch life as a brand because uh, you could put your travels and your young ranching career into a storybook or into, into a montage as far as that goes. Delaney, it, it was fun to pick out in the beginning of her story that she ended up working at a job after college that she wanted to do when she was eight years old. I feel like in agriculture, that happens a lot. There's a mm-hmm. lot of farm kids that all they ever wanted to do is farm. They played with their toys. They, they played with their animals all through childhood and now get to do it as an adult. I would venture to guess there are probably very few young humans out there that think the same way about banking. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Probably not, not something yeah. people dream about doing is being a banker, Tanner. Uh, but let's, let's not focus on me. That's not the reason we're having this conversation. So uh, I saw on your website, well, first of all, I got a, a clarification too, that yeah. a guest ranch versus a working ranch. I've, I've never experienced that because we don't have here in Iowa guest farms and working sure. farms. It just seems sure. like, like there's a difference there between the farm and ranch life. So what, what's the difference between a guest ranch and a, and a working ranch? Yeah. So obviously out West, I feel like guest ranches are pretty, pretty prevalent just because of kind of that, that tourist traffic, you know, coming in and out. So um, I would qualify a guest ranch as somewhere where um, people are coming in kind of vacation style. There's obviously a few different styles. So the place that we worked, people came and stayed for a week at a time and it's very all inclusive style. You know, you feed them, you provide them with activities. They usually 
have a horse that they ride for the entire week. So they kind of get their own horse and obviously everything's um, guided, you know, they don't just (laughs) take the horse and go, but yeah. So activities. So where we worked, we would have a schedule. So people would come in Sunday, they would leave Saturday Um, throughout the week. There'd be a square dance and a hayride and, you know, all the, all of the activities are very Western, very, um, you, they try to keep it as authentic as possible. All the meals are in like one big dining room, family style. So guest ranches are more seasonal. Generally, I think that some States like Arizona, you know, are going to be like opposite seasons of obviously Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, just because their summers are very hot and their winters are, are more pleasant. So I know a lot of people that actually work um, guest ranches out West go kind of down to the Southwest for the winter to continue doing it. Um, but yeah, so guest ranch, there's also some that are a little less intense where they might just have horses and it's more a la carte. So it's just a hotel that also offers, you know, kind of ranch activities. So I would say loosely, that's sort of the definition of a guest ranch. And then a working ranch is a ranch that has livestock. So horses, cattle, sheep, whatever, um, for the purpose of income. So where I worked, Drowsy Water was both because from basically Memorial Day to Labor Day, we would host guests, take them on rides, you know, very hospitality oriented. Um, But then from basically September until the following May, all through the winter, they would raise beef cattle for the purpose of producing meat for sale. So um, they would also produce all their own hay. So anything, any operation that is producing crops or livestock for profit basically would be considered a working ranch slash farm, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think it does for sure. And like Tanner was saying, we just don't have those out here. So it's always interesting to talk to people who are part of that. But Kirsten, yeah. final question for you. Why did you start doing the influencer thing? What what made you decide to do that? Yeah, so obviously living out in Colorado, working um, at Drowsy Water for those five years, like I said, I found my passion there. I'm not a generational rancher. Um, I always say like ranching might not be in my blood, but it's definitely in my heart. You know, it's something that's always called to me. So during my time with Logan, like I said, we, we made some moves. I made some different job decisions with horse trainers and the hunting ranch and things like that. But there was always this little part of me that just felt like ranching was just calling to me in the background. Like that's where I really needed to be and wasn't. Um, So I actually started when we lived um, in Missouri, Kansas, kind of right on the border there. I started my page and it was literally a page that I wanted to share those feelings, you know, no, I wasn't raised in it. This isn't something that just has been, you know, presented to me, but it's something that I want to be a part of. So me and Logan kind of got to a point where we were planning for our future with cattle. You know, we got our own livestock brand and um, we were looking into getting some horses. And so I started sharing that journey and just saying, you know, this is where I want to be. And these are the things that I really see for our future. And I really started to connect with people um, on social media who were in the same boat, you know, people that were like, well, yeah, my, like my family never did any sort of farming or ranching or agriculture, but I want that, you know, I want that life. Like, how do you get started? Where do you go from here? You know? And so it actually started as kind of like my dreams for ranching. And then it turned into this journey into ranching because I started to get these positions and was able to share, 
the journey from hoping and dreaming of that lifestyle to living it. So it was super cool. I also love Western fashion. So it's a really fun way to kind of share my passion for that side, that kind of creative side of myself. But while sharing photos, you know, of cool Western wear, you know, sharing about the day-to-day life with ranching and just things I've learned and experienced and, um, you know, any tips I can give to other first-generation ranchers, because it's something that I'm really proud of and something that, yeah, definitely wasn't (laughs) what the page started as. So it's been so cool to make those connections and friendships and, you know, really to just be there for other people that I feel like are in the same boat. So it's been really cool to be able to share from, from start to, to finish, I guess, not really finish, but you know, to where we are now. So. Right. Well, we appreciate you jumping on this Friday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. If our listeners want to follow along with your journey and learn more about you, how can they find you? Yeah. So the main platform I use is Instagram. So it's hashtag ranch life on Instagram. I also have a website that's hashtag ranch life Kirsten um, dot com. So yeah, K-I-R-S-T-E-N. That's the, the main part. I have a difficult name. So people seem to sometimes have trouble with that. But even if you type in hashtag ranch life, it should come up in Google. So yeah, those are my right. two main spots. And I appreciate you guys approaching me and taking time out of your Friday morning. Thanks for uh, hanging out with me for a little bit and getting to know me a little bit better. Well, that's great. Thank you again for joining us. Well, Tanner, again, a big thank you there to Kristen for joining us today to chat about her influencer sphere. We're getting a lot of those types of people on lately. It's been kind of fun. Yeah, I'm glad that we're able to involve them. It seems like it's, it's a network that I don't see getting any smaller as it's good to see the voice of agriculture continue to grow. It certainly is, Tanner. Do you think you're ever going to be an ag influencer? I thought that's why you had me on the podcast. Oh yeah, you're right. (laughs) I must have forgotten. Oh, that was definitely too much of an arrogant comment for a personality of mine to be comfortable. So I'd say that with that, Uh, it's probably time to let the listeners go. Let's let them go.